Are you battling a demon of addiction, tobacco, or drugs, or gambling, or the pernicious contemporary plague of pornography? Is your marriage in trouble? Or your child in danger? Are you confused with gender identity or searching for self-esteem? Do you or someone you love face disease or depression or death? Whatever other steps you may need to take, to resolve these concerns, come first to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Trust in heaven's promises. In that regard, Alma's testimony is my testimony. I do know, he says, that whosoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials and their troubles and their afflictions. Each of you is a unique child of God. God knows you individually. He sends messages of encouragement, correction, and direction fitted to you and to your needs. God sends messages and authorized messengers to his children. We need to turn to God. We need to reaffirm our faith and we need to reassert our hope. Where necessary, we need to repent and certainly we need to pray. I testify this morning of God's limitless love for His children, of His unquenchable desire to help us heal our wounds individually and collectively. The first and great commandment on earth is for us to love God with all our heart, might, mind, and strength, because surely the first and great promise in heaven is that He will always love us that way. And the Father of us all is divinely anxious to bless us this very moment. Mercy is His mission and love is His only labor. John Donne once said, we ask our daily bread and God never says you should have come yesterday. No, he says today, if you will hear my voice, today I will hear yours. Alma taught that remarkable truth to his son Helaman, entreating him to put his trust in God. Alma said God was quick to hear the cries of his people, quick to answer their prayers. He said to his son, I have been supported in trials and troubles and afflictions of every kind. God has delivered me. I do put my trust in him and he will still deliver me. The work of patience boils down to this. Keep the commandments. Trust in God, our Heavenly Father. Serve him with meekness and Christ-like love. Exercise faith and hope in the Savior. And never give up. Never give up. However deep the wounds of your soul, whatever their source, wherever or whenever they happen, and for how short or long they persist, you are not meant to perish spiritually. You are meant to survive spiritually and blossom in your faith and trust in God. The Savior is our Good Samaritan, sent to heal the brokenhearted. He comes to us when others pass us by. With compassion, he places his healing balm on our wounds and binds them up. 
He carries us. He cares for us. He bids us, come unto me, and I shall heal you. In the crucible of earthly trials, patiently move forward, and the Savior's healing power will bring you light, understanding, peace, and hope. Pray with all your heart. Strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ, in his reality, in his grace. Hold on to these words. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to place all of your trust in God and in the teachings of our prophets. I invite you to renew your covenants with God, to serve Him with all your heart, regardless of the complex situations of life. I testify that by the power of our unwavering faith in Christ, you will become free of the captivity of sin, of doubt, of unbelief, of unhappiness, of suffering, and you will receive all of the promised blessings from our Heavenly Father. That before great moments, certainly before great spiritual moments, there can come adversity, opposition, and darkness. Life has some of those moments for us, and occasionally they come just as we are approaching an important decision or a significant step in our life. Most of us do not need any more reminders than we've already had that there is one who personifies opposition in all things. This is a lesson in the parlance of the athletic contest that reminds us it isn't over till it's over. It is the reminder that the fight goes on. Unfortunately, we must not think that Satan is defeated with that first strong breakthrough which so dramatically brought the light and moved us forward. Don't let your guard down. Don't assume that a great revelation, some marvelous illuminating moment, the opening of an inspired path, is the end of it. Remember, it isn't over till it's over. I wish to encourage every one of you today regarding opposition that so often comes after enlightened decisions have been made after moments of revelation and conviction have given us a peace and an assurance that we thought we'd never lose the reminder is that we cannot sign on for a moment of such eternal significance and everlasting consequence without knowing it will be a fight a good fight and a winning fight but a fight nevertheless. Paul says to those who thought a new testimony, a personal conversion, a spiritual baptismal experience would put them beyond trouble. To these, he says, call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, 
ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye receive the promise. If any man draw back, he warns, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We are not of them who draw back. Don't draw back. Don't panic. Don't retreat. Don't lose your confidence. Don't forget how you once felt. Don't distrust the experience you had. This opposition turns up almost any place something good has happened. It can happen when you're trying to get an education. It can hit you after your first month in a new mission field. It certainly happens in matters of love and marriage. I'd like to have a dollar for every person in a courtship who knew he or she had felt the guidance of the Lord in that relationship, had prayed about the experience enough to know it was the will of the Lord, people who loved each other, enjoyed each other's company, saw a wonderful lifetime of compatibility ahead, only to panic, to get a brain cramp, to have total catatonic fear sweep over them, and they draw back, as Paul said, if not into perdition, at least into marital paralysis. I am not saying, I am not saying you shouldn't be very careful about something as significant and serious as marriage. Yes, there are cautions and considerations to make, but once there has been genuine illumination, beware the temptation to retreat from a good thing. If it was right when you prayed about it and trusted it and lived for it, it's right now. Don't give up when the pressure mounts. You can find an apartment. You can win over your mother-in-law. You can sell your harmonica and therein fund one more meal. It's been done before. Don't give in. Certainly, don't give in to that being who is bent on the destruction of your happiness. He wants everyone to be miserable like unto himself. Face your doubts, master your fears, cast not away therefore your confidence. Stay the course and see the beauty of life unfold for you. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. I love that combination of both mind and heart. God will teach us in a reasonable way and in a revelatory way. Mind and heart combined by the Holy Ghost. You will need information too in matters of great consequence. But it is not likely that it will come unless you really want it urgently, faithfully, humbly. Moroni calls it seeking with real intent. If you can seek that way 
and stay in that mode, not much the adversary can counter with will dissuade you from a righteous path. You can hang on, whatever the assault and the affliction, because you have paid the price to figuratively at least see the face of God and live. Like Moses in his vision, there may come after the fact some competing doubts and some confusion, but it will pale when you measure it against the real thing. Remember the real thing. Remember how urgently you have needed help in earlier times and that you got it. In the process of revelation and making important decisions, fear almost always plays a destructive, sometimes paralyzing role. To Oliver Cowdery, who missed the opportunity of a lifetime, because he didn't seize it in the lifetime of the opportunity, the Lord said, you did not continue as you commenced. Does that sound familiar to those who've been illuminated and then knuckled under to second thoughts and fears and returning doubts? It is not expedient, the Lord said, that you should translate now. That must have been language very, very hard for Oliver to hear. Behold, it was expedient when you commenced, but you feared. And the time has passed, and it's not expedient now. Every one of us runs the risk of fear. You do and I do. But did you catch the line I tried to emphasize as I read that rather long account from the Pearl of Great Price? For a moment in that confrontation, and I quote again, Moses began to fear exceedingly. And as he began to fear, he saw the bitterness of hell. That's when you'll see it. When you are afraid. That is exactly the problem that beset the children of Israel at the edge of the Red Sea, thus lesson number two. It has everything to do with holding fast to earlier illumination. What about that which has already happened? What about the miracles that got you here? And it is not better to remain outside the church nor to reject a mission call, nor to put off marriage, and so on and so on and so on forever. Of course our faith will be tested as we fight through self-doubts and second thoughts. Some days we'll be miraculously led out of Egypt, seemingly free, seemingly on our way, only to come to yet another confrontation, like all that water lying before us. At those times, we must resist the temptation to panic and to give up. At those times, fear will be the strongest of the adversary's weapons against us. After you've gotten the message, after you've paid the price to feel his love and hear the word of the Lord, 
go forward. Don't fear, don't vacillate, don't quibble, don't whine. You may, like Alma, going to Ammonihah, have to find a route that leads an unusual way. But that's exactly what the Lord is doing here for the children of Israel. Nobody's ever crossed the Red Sea this way, but so what? There's always a first time. With the spirit of revelation, dismiss your fears and wade in with both feet. In the words of Joseph Smith, brethren, and I would add sisters, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage on, on to the victory, close quote. Along with the illuminating revelation that points us toward a righteous purpose or duty, God will also provide the means and power to achieve that purpose. Trust in that eternal truth, please. If God has told you something is right, if something is indeed true for you, He will provide the way for you to accomplish it. Most of the changes in our spiritual lives, both positive and negative, happen gradually, a step at a time. Like the participants in the Max Planck study, we may not realize when we veer off course. We may even have high confidence that we are walking a straight line. But the fact is that without the help of landmarks to guide us, we inevitably deviate off course and end up in places we never thought we would be. This is true for individuals. It is also true for societies and nations. But all is not lost. Unlike the wandering test subjects, we have reliable, visible landmarks that we can use to evaluate our course. Now, what are these landmarks? Surely they include daily prayer and pondering the scriptures and using inspired tools like Come Follow Me. Each day we can approach the throne of God in humility and honesty. We can ponder our actions and review the moments of our day, considering our will and desires in light of His if we have drifted, we plead with God to restore us and we commit to do better. This time of introspection is an opportunity for recalibration. It is a garden of reflection where we can walk with the Lord and be instructed, edified and purified by the written and spirit-revealed word of our Heavenly Father. It is a sacred time when we remember our solemn covenants to follow the living Christ. When we assess our progress and align ourselves with the spiritual landmarks God has provided for His children. Think of it as your personal 
daily restoration. On our journey as pilgrims on the path of glory, we know how easy it is to fall away. But just as minor deviations can draw us out of the Savior's way, so can two small and simple acts of realignment assuredly lead us back. When darkness creeps into our lives, it is often thus. Our daily restoration opens our hearts to heavenly light, which illuminates our souls chasing away shadows, fears, and doubts. If we seek it, surely God shall give unto us knowledge by His Holy Spirit, yea, by the unspeakable gift of the Holy Ghost. As often as we ask, He will teach us the way and help us follow it. This, of course, takes steady effort on our part. We cannot be content with spiritual experiences of the past. We need a steady flow. We can't rely on others' testimonies forever. We must build our own. We need an ongoing, daily infusion of heavenly light. We need times of refreshing, times of personal restoration. As our days go, so go our lives. One author put it this way. A day is like a whole life. You start out going, doing one thing, but end up doing something else. Plan to run an errand, but never get it there. And at the end of your life, your whole existence has the same random quality too. Your whole life has the shape of a single day. Do you want to change the shape of your life? Change the shape of your day. Do you want to change your day? Change this hour. Change what you think, feel and do at the very moment. A small rudder can steer a large ship. Small bricks can become magnificent mansions. Small seeds can become towering sequoias. Minutes and hours well spent are the building blocks of a life well lived. They can inspire goodness, lift us from the captivity of imperfections, and lead us upwards to the redemptive path of forgiveness and sanctification. Testimony alone is not and will not be enough to protect us in the latter-day storm of darkness and evil in which we are living. Testimony is important and necessary, but not sufficient to provide the spiritual strength and protection we need. The essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ entails a fundamental and permanent change in our very nature made possible through the Savior's atonement. True conversion brings a change in one's beliefs, heart, and life to accept and conform to the will of God and includes a conscious commitment to become a disciple of Christ. 
Knowing by the power of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ is important and necessary. But earnestly coming unto Him and giving our whole souls as an offering requires much more than merely knowing. Conversion requires all of our heart, all of our might, and all of our mind and strength. For most of us, conversion is an ongoing process and not a one-time event that results from a powerful or dramatic experience. Line upon line and precept upon precept, gradually and almost imperceptibly, our motives, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds become aligned with the will of God. Conversion unto the Lord requires both persistence and patience. I now want to use one of many possible interpretations of the parable of the ten virgins to highlight the relationship between testimony and conversion. Ten virgins, five who were wise and five who were foolish, took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Please think of the lamps used by the virgins as the lamp of testimony. The foolish virgins took their lamps of testimony but took no oil with them. Consider the oil to be the oil of conversion. But the wise took oil of conversion in their vessels with their lamps of testimony. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps of testimony. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, even the oil of conversion, for our lamps of testimony are weak and are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Were the five wise virgins selfish and unwilling to share? Or were they indicating correctly that the oil of conversion cannot be borrowed? Can the spiritual strength that results from consistent obedience to the commandments be given to another person? Can the knowledge obtained through diligent study and pondering of the scriptures be conveyed to one who is in need? Or can the peace the gospel brings to a faithful Latter-day Saint be transferred to an individual experiencing adversity or great challenge? The answer to each of these questions is no. As the wise virgins emphasize properly, each of us must buy for ourselves. These inspired women were not describing a business transaction. Rather, they were emphasizing our individual responsibility to keep our lamp of testimony burning and to obtain an ample supply of the oil of conversion. This precious oil is acquired one drop at a time, line upon line and precept upon precept, patiently and persistently. No shortcut is available. No last-minute flurry of preparation is possible. Wherefore, be faithful, praying always, having your lamps trimmed and burning and oil with you, that you may be ready at the coming of the Bridegroom. The spirit of revelation typically functions as thoughts and feelings that come into our minds and hearts by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
In the scriptures, the influence of the Holy Ghost frequently is described as a still, small voice and a voice of perfect mildness. Because the Spirit whispers to us gently and delicately, it is easy to understand why we should shun inappropriate media, pornography, and harmful addictive substances and behaviors. These tools of the adversary can impair and eventually destroy our capacity to recognize and respond to the subtle messages from God delivered by the power of His Spirit. Revelations are conveyed in a variety of ways, including, for example, dreams, visions, conversations with heavenly messengers, and inspiration. Some revelations are received immediately and intensely. Some are recognized gradually and subtly. A light turned on in a dark room is like receiving a message from God quickly, completely, and all at once. Many of us have experienced this pattern of revelation as we have been given answers to sincere prayers or been provided with needed direction and protection according to God's will and timing. Descriptions of such immediate and intense manifestations are found in the scriptures, recounted in church history, and evidenced in our own lives. Indeed, these mighty miracles do occur. However, this pattern of revelation tends to be more rare than common. The gradual increase of light radiating from the rising sun is like receiving a message from God line upon line, precept upon precept. Most frequently, revelation comes in small increments over time and is granted according to our desire, worthiness, and preparation. Such communications from Heavenly Father gradually and gently distill upon our souls as the dews from heaven. This pattern of revelation tends to be more common than rare. We, as members of the Church, tend to emphasize marvelous and dramatic spiritual manifestations so much that we may fail to appreciate and even overlook the customary pattern by which the Holy Ghost accomplishes His work. The very simpleness of the way of receiving small and incremental spiritual impressions may cause us to look beyond the mark. Another common experience with light helps us learn an additional truth about the line-upon-line, precept-upon-precept pattern of revelation. Sometimes the sun rises on a morning that is cloudy or foggy. Because of the overcast conditions, perceiving the light is more difficult, and identifying the precise moment when the sun rises over the horizon is not possible. But on such a morning, we nonetheless have sufficient light to recognize a new day and to conduct our affairs. In a similar way, we many times receive revelation without recognizing precisely how or when we are receiving revelation. In many of the uncertainties and challenges we encounter in our lives, God requires us to do our best to act and not be acted upon, and to trust in Him. We may not see angels, hear heavenly voices, or receive overwhelming spiritual impressions. 
we may frequently press forward hoping and praying, but without absolute assurance that we are acting in accordance with God's will. But as we honor our covenants and keep the commandments, as we strive ever more consistently to do good and to become better, we can walk with the confidence that God will guide our steps and we can speak with the assurance that God will inspire our utterances. As you appropriately seek for and apply unto the spirit of revelation, I promise you will walk in the light of the Lord. Sometimes the spirit of revelation will operate immediately and intensely, other times subtly and gradually, and often so delicately you may not even consciously recognize it. But regardless of the pattern whereby this blessing is received, the light it provides will illuminate and enlarge your soul, enlighten your understanding, and direct and protect you and your family.